Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today is Coach Andrea and I, and we're going to be getting into a very common question, which is, does dieting too frequently make fat loss harder for women? So basically, if I diet too often, will I have to diet on less calories, do more cardio, push myself harder, et cetera, than if I didn't diet as frequently? And I really think diet free, dieting frequency as a whole is a poorly understood part of physique development. I know both of us have coached hundreds and hundreds of women. I think we have like over, I think we have like almost 25 years of coaching experience just between the two of us. And I'll say almost every female client I've ever worked with, and I imagine you would probably say the same, was taking the wrong approach when it comes to how frequently they were dieting um, prior to working with our team. And it was a big part of why they were struggling to see the results they wanted. So I really love this question because when we change our approach to this and properly apply the different phases of nutrition in the appropriate length, we can really see dramatic changes in the physique outcome someone's able to achieve. Um, because really a smarter approach here does lead to easier fat loss, quicker muscle growth, and also a decreased likelihood of regaining the body fat you lost. Um, and this was also in part, I wanted to get into this question because it kind of ties into a listener question that we got as well, which was, I consider myself lifestyle lean. I usually start cutting in spring around April and then slowly go back to maintenance by August. I've been doing this for three years now, but recently noticed my cutting was getting a bit more difficult to lean out. Um, my cut is usually eating around 1,400 to 1,500 calories and maintain slash bulk between 1,800 and 2,200. My question is, am I somewhat yo-yo dieting because my maintenance phase is only around six months before I cut again? So again, I, and I love this question. We appreciate the listener asking as well. But again, um, in essence, she's asking like, am I kind of just yo-yo dieting and not making any progress? How is my dieting frequency, like the fact that I am dieting every six months, impacting my ability to continually improve my body composition? Um, I also think there's a whole other topic to be talked on with like the difference between phasic dieting and yo-yo dieting, because on the surface, it can kind of seem very oh, yeah. similar, but it's, it's way different in the way that it's applied. Um, but this is such a good topic. I think that there's a subset of people who don't ask this enough <laughs> and they just diet over I and agree. over again without really thinking about it. Um, but then there's also the group where like, you'll hear very blanket answers of how often you should be dieting. So you should diet or you should be in maintenance for double the months that you're dieting or something to that effect. Everybody has a little bit different version of it, which I think is helpful in like really summing up in very few words um, that you shouldn't diet all the time, but there's so much that goes into that. And I think that this is going to be a really helpful topic to explain the why behind it. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, the distinction between the two different using these different phases of nutrition versus am I not just yogurt dieting is so important as well. So in today's episode, we're going to cover a few things. First, how and why dieting frequency impacts fat loss from the effects on your metabolism to hormones to your ability to build muscle. Um, we're going to talk through the common mistakes most women are making when it comes to frequency, duration, and general approach to dieting. And three, talk through the smarter approach we would recommend using. Um, and we, of course, we use with clients that will ultimately make your body more responsive to both fat loss and building muscle. Anything else you want to add before we hop in? Let's get into it. Cool. All right. So first I want to dig into why and how 
dieting frequency impacts fat loss as a whole, just how dieting is going to impact your ability to lose body fat in the future. Um, so anytime we're coaching a client, there's really going to be four key areas we're examining to ensure that our protocols are the absolute most effective approach for the individual in front of us. And we can really take the same approach here. So basically the four, comp the four things that we're going to look at, um, when we're looking at, again, like both in the current phase that we're in and in the future is and basically that client's ability to get results is how is what we're doing going to impact their metabolism, their hormones, their muscle mass, and their psychology. So let's kick it off with metabolism um, and how dieting impacts metabolism. So metabolism is basically going to be made up of four primary components and the sum of calories burned through each of these components is your total daily energy expenditure. So when we, when we look at these four components of metabolism, we have basal metabolic rate. So basically think just the calories that your body would burn at rest for things like your heart pumping, breathing, et cetera. Now this is going to make up about 60 to 70% of the daily calories that you burn. We have next the thermic effect of food. Now this varies a lot depending on the food you eat, but you do burn calories in the process of digesting food. Um, so protein, about 20 to 35% of the calories that we take in from protein, we're actually going to burn in the digestive process about five to 15% for carbs and about zero to 5% for fat. So again, the amount, depending on like somebody's dietary preferences, like a high protein diet for a low versus a low protein diet, there would be a pretty decent, um, difference in the calories we burn through the thermic effect of food there. But generally this is going to account for about 10% of the daily calories you burn. We have the thermic effect of exercise, which is the calories you burn when you're exercising, which is about 5% of the daily calories that you burn. And then we have NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Again, this is going to vary a lot from person to person, but think calories burned through things like pacing, fidgeting, blinking, et cetera, generally going to be something about 15 to 25% of your daily calorie burn. But again, it varies a lot from person to person. So when we're looking at how does dieting impact all those different variables, then we have to look at something called metabolic adaptation. Your metabolism is very adaptive. It's constantly, it's constantly changing. It's something that's constantly in flux. I think a lot of people think is a metabolism of metabolism as being something that's like very rigid, right? Like these are my maintenance calories. And I like that people think of that as like always being the same where your maintenance calories are constantly changing as a result of how much you're moving, how much you're eating, what your current body size is. Um, but again, to bring it back to metabolic adaptation, really, again, when we diet your metabolism, the calories you burn in a day is going to downregulate for several reasons. So first your body's smaller. So your basal metabolic rate will decrease. It just takes fewer calories for a smaller body to exist and survive than a larger body, right? So if you're losing body fat and losing body weight, we should see BMR decreasing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, again, like a normal part of that adaptation process. Now, it is important to understand that this isn't something that just keeps plummeting. Um, your BMR will only will really like that first about 10% of your body weight that you lose, your BMR will decrease about what we expect. But after that, we're not going to see your BMR just keep dropping and dropping. Um, because so much of this is things like calories you burn to keep your heart pumping, right? Organ function, et cetera. Your body's not going to just like stop your heart from pumping to prevent you from losing more body fat. So there is a very hard like floor to which we can see your BMR decrease. Yeah. You're not um, going to adapt down to maintaining on a thousand calories if you're a 180 pound person. Right. It is interesting though. Like 
when you are in a fat loss phase, um, like for like I track my uh, blood pressure, resting heart rate, and it is pretty mm-hmm. crazy to see how much your resting heart rate will change in a fat loss phase. Like my last photo shoot prep, do you like wear your smartwatch when you sleep? No, I have, I have an Apple watch. So I have to charge it overnight. Oh, I always like charge mine like the hour before I go to bed actually and wear it when I sleep because I'd like to see the sleep data. But like my last photo shoot prep, um, I was constantly every morning when I wake up, I would have the like low heart rate notification um, throughout <laughs> the night. But it is funny. And that was like when I was at my leanest and like when I'm not, it's not. A, but that's again, like a perfect example of even things like that, like your heart rate slows down a bit. So we burn yeah. less calories. So we don't lose as much body fat. Again, like these are all things to like your body senses fewer calories coming in. So these are things like your body adapting to try to prevent us from dying basically, right? Because of course, we're not in this period where we're actually starving to death, but your body does have the defense mechanisms. So it wants plenty of body fat stores to fall back upon, fall back on in case we come like into the, into this period of calorie scarcity. So it's a, again, it's a defense mechanism. Um, like all Somewhat things dependent on your muscle mass as well. So if you're 200 pounds and 10% body fat, you're going to have a higher basal metabolic rate than 200 pounds and 30% body fat as an example. Absolutely. So to bring it back to metabolic adaptation though, um, next you're eating less food. So the thermic effect of food decreases. Um, and that, that one's pretty straightforward. Yeah, that one's pretty straightforward. <laughs> the thermic effect of exercise decreases because it takes fewer calories to move your smaller body. Um, and then we also do get an increase in skeletal muscle efficiency. So muscles basically get more efficient at any given task and can burn actually up to about 20% fewer calories doing said task versus what they might do previously. This was a super interesting one. Um, had a podcast with Brandon DeCruz, shout out to Brandon. I feel like I've learned so much of this stuff from him. Um, where we talked about a similar topic and even like the mitochondrial efficiency, right? Where your mitochondria are literally more efficient. So everything that you do takes less energy and like the deeper, the leaner we're getting, the more we push into fat loss, like the fewer calories our body burns doing the exact same processes as it would before. It's just, it's, it's such a crazy thing. Um, and then we have NEAT. So NEAT, again, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, generally decreases as you feel lethargic due to this lack of calories, right? And again, it's kind of just a, it's not typically something we're aware of, but again, you'll probably do like less fidgeting, less pay, less pacing, less blinking. Um, I know it's funny to even see like, uh, I know uh, one guy I follow, follow when he was on the podcast recently like he's been in a bodybuilding prep and it's funny to like watch his stories on instagram because it's like dude you are talking so much slower than you <laughs> used to but he's like he's shredded right now and i've seen that in myself with like videos and whatnot where it's like or even like i remember my first photo shoot prep i did when i was training clients where it was like uh i'm always i was when i was training clients in person still i was always trying to like be very engaged with them and like get like at their eye level it would be like i would like get on one knee to like coach them. And I would just like hang out there for so much longer than normal. I just like, didn't want to move even like little decisions. Like you're going to go check the mail more frequently versus less frequently. Right. Um, we do all those things a lot less. And again, it's not typically something we're conscious of, but it is simply just to conserve the amount of calories that we're burning. So we reduce the amount of body fat we're losing. Um, now reductions in knee account for 
again, this is something that I learned on the podcast with Brandon, um, for about 85 to 90% of the reductions, we consider metabolic adaptation, which is crazy. Again, like people talk a lot about metabolic adaptation, um, and how it hinders fat loss. But so much of that is again, actually the amount of pacing, fidgeting, blinking that you do. Um, and that's so different per- like that's so person dependent too. Right. There, there was that study where they compared the two people of same weight and I believe they, they pretty much kept everything as consistent as possible. Mm-hmm. And one person would burn like 2000 calories more than the yeah. other one, um, just from additional non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So if you know someone that's always <laughs> pretty lean and they have a hard time gaining, it's probably because they are this person. They're like always bouncing their knee or like moving, talking with their hands and things like that. Absolutely. And that's the, in that study, um, it was, I think it was black at all, but it was like a BMRs are typically in a pretty similar range. Like there was a very small range as far as the variability with people's basal metabolic rate. But as you said, there's up to a 2000 calorie per day variability in the amount of calories that people burn through non-exercise activity. So really like it's, I think a lot of people think like my metabolism is just I just have a slow metabolism. I'm just screwed. But it's again, like considering that 85 to 90% of that metabolic adaptation is actually your daily movement from this perspective. So much of it is under your control. Um, anything else to add on the metabolic adaptation side before we get into hormones? Do you feel like we summed that up? Well, I think so. Yeah. It's, and it's a normal process. So I think that metabolic adaptation sounds like, oh my gosh, if you diet, this is, this bad thing is going to happen, but really that's just your body doing what it's supposed to do as you diet down and it will come back up whenever food comes back up. Yeah. Yeah. You're all, your body is an adaptation machine. Muscle growth is an adaptation. Everything is a response to a stress basically in the environment that you're in. But again, your metabolism is always adapting when we're eating less, when we're losing body weight, it is adapting downwards. When we're gaining weight, your metabolism will increase. Right. But similarly, that's not might not necessarily be a good thing, right? If I gained 10 pounds of fat, I would be heavier and my metabolism would increase a bit, but wouldn't necessarily be the outcome that I want. So um, just an important aspect to consider. Next up, we have how dieting impacts hormones. Um, and you are definitely the smartest I know on this topic. So please feel free to jump in wherever, but a couple of important things to consider. So first, when we're dieting, leptin levels will decrease. So Leptin is basically a hormone that regulates body weight and appetite. Now, leptin levels are controlled by first, the size of your fat cells. So leptin is secreted from fat cells. So a larger fat cell for healthy individuals, um, there's, it's called leptin resistance, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. The, some individuals like this is skewed and they will have a very hard time controlling their body weight actually. Um, but for most, for a healthy individual, a larger fat cell will typically mean more leptin and then so of course, like as we, um, diet fat cells will shrink, which as a result, uh, leads to less leptin, which we'll talk about a little bit more like downstream effects to that in a moment. And then your calorie intake also has a large impact on your leptin levels. So, um, within a few days of eating less calories, leptin will decrease dramatically. Um, and leptin is something that is very much in the acute sense a lot of a lot of hormones like we don't see large shifts again like in a very minute setting like this but again like within two days of dieting right or like after we like give someone a one to two day refeed within again like 
48 hours, like they'll see just huge changes in leptin. It's pretty crazy how quickly um, dieting does impact that. So dieting, of course, leads to a decrease in leptin due to both calorie restriction and the fact that like in the short term, again, within a couple of days of calorie restriction, leptin levels will decrease. Um, and then in the longer term, as you lose body fat, smaller fat cells also mean that less leptin is released. So what this leads to is first an increase in hunger. So basically when, um, leptin decreases ghrelin, do you say ghrelin or ghrelin? I say ghrelin. I always say ghrelin. I've heard ghrelin, ghrelin, either or, um, which is a hunger hormone increases when leptin decreases, right? So it's kind of this antagonist relationship between the two. So again, kind of encourage you to eat a little bit more. Again, leptin's job is basically maintaining, uh, regulating your body weight. So again, that decreasing will encourage us to eat a little bit more. And then alongside that, um, decreases in leptin, it also is tied in with energy expenditure. So typically when someone's leptin levels decrease, we'll also see their NEAT levels decrease. So we'll burn less calories through subconscious movement. Again, from there, from a hormonal perspective, and here, we're, again, we're talking about body weight regulation and hunger hormones, but ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone, will increase when leptin decreases. Um, leptin decreasing also has a downstream effect on testosterone decreasing, um, which again, in like a short term, probably isn't going to be a huge deal when it comes to like muscle growth, metabolic rate, things of that nature, but it will play a bit of a role in the longer term. Of course, if we're like chronically dieting, this will have a much larger impact versus again, if we're talking about like a 12 week diet, right. And it's, I've been out of this phase for a long time. Um, when we're dieting as well, again, another one of those adaptations that will happen is thyroid will typically decrease. Um, and then part of this will, again, part of this is just a metabolic adaptation. Part of this is also, again, when we're dieting in itself as a stressor on our body. And again, when we're looking at thyroid and like, what do we need for thyroid to actually, um, actually act on the cell and increase our metabolic rate? Um, basically we have TSH, which is again, kind of basically think the signal that we need to create thyroid from there. T4 is released. And then T4, uh, the hormone T4 needs to be converted into T3, which is again going to be our metabolically active form of thyroid hormone. And then again, that's really what's going to be when we're looking at like stimulating your metabolism, that's going to be a very important factor. Now, when stress levels are higher, um, what's, what will happen is that more of that T4, which again, T4, if you, the goal is just the fastest metabolism, most calories burned, we want that T4 to be converted to T3. Again, when stress is higher, which dieting is stress on your body, more of that will actually be converted to reverse T3, which is again, an inactive form of thyroid. Um, and again, that will basically lead to, uh, thyroid being slowed a bit as far as thyroid, anything else you want to add there? Um, no, I have let's, let's finish out this little section. And then I, I think I want to tie this back to the question. Cool. Okay. And then from there, and then really in section two, and then in the second part of this as well, for the listener, I wanted to really explain the physiology, the psychology behind this. And then in the latter half, this will definitely tie all this back to, <laughs> so I'm bear with us, we'll tie all this bit. back. <laughs> yeah. Um, from a hormonal perspective, cortisol increases. Um, Again, dieting is a stress on your body. Cortisol increases. Um, and as a result of that, this can further prevent the production of testosterone. Um, we already talked about how that will impact thyroid. And also 
cortisol is a catabolic hormone. It is basically responsible for breaking things down for energy. Um, and that can also increase the likelihood of muscle loss as it can be muscle tissue that is broken down there. Um, for women specifically, so much of that like fat loss process and the hormonal system is impacted by stress and very sensitive to stress as well. So that's again, something that's very important to consider with the way we're approaching the diet. Um, and again, especially for women, many more of the sex hormones are often negatively impacted by dieting. Um, so again, we'll often see like someone who is chronically dieting or at least like trying to diet. Maybe you're not even losing body fat, but you're spending a good amount of time like dipping in and out of deficit or like that idea of under eating or under fueling, yeah. right? We'll still see like menstrual cycle disruption or your sex hormones are in the best place by any means that in turn will really have a downstream impact on how you feel your energy levels, thus like your daily movement, again, your need and very much tie into your ability to build muscle tissue. And then from a hormonal perspective, um, more so like downstream than a direct consequence, most people who are consistently dieting and eating less calories, the fewer calories we eat as we talk about micronutrients a lot because micronutrients are such an important part of everything hormonal, right? Um, so many issues when we're looking at things like thyroid, for example, right? So many people, when it's like, uh, especially like someone following a, let's say like following a vegan diet, there are oftentimes many things like your B vitamins, for example, that we're missing, like B12 that we're missing. That is an important part of that again, like with, it, with the thyroid, that cascade of, okay, we have the TSH and then we need to be able to like produce and release T4. And then we need to be able to convert that T4 to T3. Um, so many of your, your micronutrients, like your selenium, uh, your iodine, things of that nature are such an important part of that process. And if we're missing those, your body won't be able to, again, do those things like convert that T4 to the metabolically active T3. Now, when we're dieting and calories are restricted, most people in general, aren't great about staying on top of the, their micronutrient needs, which is a huge focus with the clients we work with. Then a big part of why we always talk about it needs to be so much more than macros for the healthiest, most responsive body. But, um, especially when we're dieting and you are eating less calories again. And if you're, if this isn't something that you're aware of and you are, I would say like most everyone who's like just focusing on macros, they're almost always deficient in at least several important, uh, nutrients for micronutrients for thyroid. Would you say that's true? Mm-hmm. Like every time we plug there, I think there've been two clients who have like plugged their food into chronometer. And it's like, oh yeah, you're really doing a good job nailing everything. But that's again, like in the last several years, I've only seen two examples of that. Um, so again, if you're spending a good, like six months out of the year in the state where you're dieting, it's also a lot less likely that we're needing all of those, getting all those micronutrients in that we need to support thyroid, to support sex hormones, et cetera. So that will have a big impact on um, more downstream, but that will have a big impact on hormones as well. Anything to add on the hormonal side? Yeah, I won't tie it into the question since we're going to cover that. But um, again, all of this is normal with dieting. It sounds really scary, but it is something that is just supposed to happen. It's part of your metabolic adaptation. And then that again, like comes back once you bring calories back up, but something that you touched on a few times was stress. And so I don't want to get too off on a tangent with it, but a lot of the things that you mentioned were like, this causes stress and therefore like you're going to convert to reverse T3. And so that's part of why we talk about 
stressors and keeping micronutrients up is because if you think about the allostatic load, which is like the, the big bucket of stress that every single stressor in your life contributes to, including dieting, we don't want dieting to be the thing that overflows that stress bucket. And so if we can keep other stressors low, like micronutrient deficiencies and, um, just psychological stress and relationship stress, moving all of that kind of stuff down, then dieting adds to that stress bucket, but it doesn't overflow it, if that makes sense. So I just thought that was a side note that was worth including there. No, I think that's a great point. And we could definitely talk about stress a lot more. And also you said like some of these adaptations are normal. Yes. But also there probably are, there are definitely better ways where we can manage it to make these a lot less or avoid some of them entirely. Um, so some of it is a natural response to dieting, but also again, like your dieting frequency, like there definitely is a more effective and less effective approach there. And again, like from a micronutrient perspective, there's so many different things we can still do to make these things more optimal. So yeah. next up, let's talk about how dieting impacts muscle mass. So of course, muscle mass is a super important part of physique development, um, getting the physique that you want. Of course, we want to build it and maintain it. Now, when you're dieting, maintaining and building muscle is going to be harder. Muscle protein synthesis, the rate of muscle protein synthesis, which is basically the process of your body turning, um, basically think like building your muscles larger is suppressed. That is that rate is decreased versus if we were at maintenance or in a surplus muscle protein breakdown, basically the body of your, the process of your body breaking down muscle tissue is increased when we're in deficit. So from that perspective, building and maintaining muscle is a little bit harder in a deficit than any other time. We also just have less fuel coming in for hard training. You're literally in an energy deficit, calories are energy. So it's harder to push yourself in your training. We also have less recovery resources outside of just muscle protein synthesis. Again, it's going to be a bit harder to recover from our training. Um, now building muscle in a deficit is definitely doable, but the environment you're creating is far less optimal than if we were at, at maintenance or in a slight surplus, but really here, again, like I would say your, the duration of time you train in a correct manner is one of the most important variables. Like the first six months of proper hypertrophy training, which very few people have actually really experienced, even if you are in a deficit and it will also depend on how lean you are but most people who aren't extremely lean already can make great gains while getting a bit leaner but again after you've made those initial gains from like your first exposure to proper training um the additional gains will be much harder to come by if you are also in a deficit and that's important to consider here as well for like i think she said she's been doing this for like three years where again if you've been training hard and you've been training well during that time probably not building much muscle if any during those longer stretches now again like most people who we work with haven't uh like when when they start with this even they've been training for a while like that really truly nailing all the variables that's typically been missing um so most people are still capable of this but again just something to consider when we're looking at how frequently are we dieting now when it comes back to how muscle mass ties back to metabolism um first the problem is most people kind of just take a poor approach to dieting and lose a decent amount of muscle when they diet and, or they just diet too frequently and never build much muscle to begin with. Now, muscle is metabolically active tissue. So basically what that means is both when we're moving and at rest, 
we are going to burn more calories if we have more muscle not just because we have not just because it's like we have a larger heavier body so that requires more calories but again muscle in itself um again even at rest takes calories to maintain so again losing or just never building much muscle means you're burning fewer calories throughout your day and then we also have when we're talking about muscle and uh, muscle and body fat levels we also have something called body fat overshooting which we've talked about on the podcast a decent amount in the past um which is a super interesting topic and again like yo-yo dieting a big part of the issue like so many people when they um diet it's just like i just want to get it off as quickly as possible maybe i was resistance training when i wasn't in the dieting phase and now i'm just going to do as much cardio just focus on calories burned um and again i just want to lose that weight as quickly as i possibly can or even if you're looking at like uh this i know this came up when we were talking about um ozempic and semaglutide like the same thing with different names um the people who are just like okay i just don't have any appetite i'm not eating any protein because i'm not hungry i'm also not resistance training during that process if we're approaching things like that we're going to lose a lot of muscle now the problem is when we lose a lot of that muscle it typically leads to this extreme hunger uh hyperphagia is the uh, scientific name for it but basically think of it as just this very strong urge to eat. And that's because again, muscle is a very calorically expensive tissue to build and maintain. So your body is basically pushing you to eat more. When we lose that muscle, your body's pushing you to eat more. Hey, let's gain that muscle back, right? Um, so again, a lot of people, like if you are, so again, like if you, let's say you like took that approach I mentioned, like on Ozempic, you under ate protein, you didn't resistance train, and then you got off it. And we lost a lot of muscle during that time. Or let's let's just say like you just crash dieted, you kept calories as low as possible for a month. You didn't resistance training. We just focused on calories burning and cardio. Um, and we lost a lot of muscle. After that period of time is over, um, you're going to again experience, most people will experience a strong urge to eat as your body's trying to gain that muscle back. But the problem is we gain body fat back at a much quicker rate than we gain muscle mass back. Right. So when we're experiencing that strong urge to overeat, by the time you're back at your old weight, because again, we're going to gain back that muscle or the fat tissue at a much quicker rate than that muscle tissue. Let's say you lost 10 pounds. By the time you gain back that 10 pounds, again, if we're like really struggling with this extreme urge to overeat and we're kind of giving into that, you'll have less muscle and more fat than the last time you were at that weight. And this is a big part of what leads to the cycle of yo yo dieting for so many people. And really, like, this is a huge deal. This is a big part of like why dieting properly and resistance training and like taking the smart approach to your training as well during the time is so important because it leads to a cycle of yo-yo dieting for so many people, right? Where it's, um, <clears throat> I lost that body fat afterwards. I really struggled with this hyperphagia and kind of went through this period of body fat overshooting, which is where, uh, I got back to the same weight within the matter of a couple months, but now I have less muscle mass and more body fat. And then what that leads to is you do have a slower metabolism versus the last time you were there because of the muscle that you lost so the next diet will be a little bit harder right and that kind of that cycle just kind of repeats itself over and over anything else to add there before we get into psychology yeah the cycle repeats itself over and over and it does get harder but you also tend to kind of look worse and worse each time you do it which i think is a really good way of knowing like is this yo-yo dieting or is this the more phasic dieting similar to like a bodybuilding style approach where you're looking better each time at that same weight. Very good example being your pictures that you've put up from your own um, 
journey over the last couple of years where your your weight was the same, but you had a lot more muscle right. in the more recent pictures. Right. No, no, absolutely. That's such an important variable again, when it's like I diet every six and I want to tie it back to this as well in the next part. But again, like when it's like I'm dieting every six months, I'm then uh, again, it kind of repeating the cycle over and over. It's like, is your physique actually improving from diet to diet? And if not, we probably are going to want to take a different approach. So finally, let's dig into how dieting impacts psychology. So within this, a huge part of it is just the diet fatigue that most people experience, um, which is very much like a, so much of dieting and someone's success within dieting is psychological. Um, that's a big part of why there are a lot of things going on physiologically as well. But one of the biggest benefits of diet breaks worked with so many clients where it's like, uh, man, we're a good 12, 14 weeks into the diet. And suddenly things just aren't moving like they were before. Right. And it's not like a, it's not even a matter of metabolic adaptation or the diet break, like fixing metabolic adaptation. But after a couple of weeks of us eating more food, just being back at maintenance, people just feel so much better mentally. If people are so excited to get back to the diet, the adherence is better. Right. But think about how many people, you know, who have for the last like five years, you probably can think of multiple examples of people right now, whereas for at least the last couple of years, this person is constantly trying to diet. They're never losing, or maybe it's like they lose five pounds, they gain it back. And it's kind of like the cycle over and over, but they're literally always trying to lose weight. Again, that diet fatigue, where it is a very real thing, where again, like it's, if we're always in that dieting mindset, it's hard to actually do extremely well for very long. Anything else to add there? Um, no, I mean, I think that covered it. <laughs> cool. Cool. So really, again, a pretty in-depth summary of these four different variables and how dieting and dieting frequency will impact them. So it will have a big impact on your metabolism, your hormones, your muscle mass, and your psychology. Um, so from there, next, let's talk through a more effective approach to diet frequency for the best physique results and really kind of tie this back to the listener question. So again, I would say personally, if you're dieting every six months, but are already lifestyle lean, as she said, I'm like pretty lifestyle lean. I typically diet six months and I'm a maintenance slash build for six months. Personally, I would say you're probably hurting your progress and you can see more effective fat loss and definitely muscle growth if you're dieting, if you were to diet less frequently. So to kind of dig into that a little bit, again, that metabolic adaptation that happens, it's not permanent, but after that diet, it does take some time to undo that, right? So really it's more than six months. Like, yes, you might only be dieting for six months, but it's more than six months of the year that you're going to be experiencing the negatives of dieting, right? Because it takes time for those metabolic adaptations to return to homeostasis in your metabolism to return back to its normal rate. Very similarly, and I would say probably more important when it comes to building muscle, those hormonal changes. Again, there will, no matter what, there are going to be some down regulations that will impact your ability to build muscle. Um, those also aren't permanent, but again, they will also take time to undo. And you're not going to be building as muscle, much muscle during that time. Um, and again, like very much for long-term physique change, that your ability to add muscle tissue between diets is going to be the most important driver of that. Um, similarly, uh, more frequent dieting is going to increase the likelihood of muscle loss, as we discussed before. Um, again, there's that decrease in metabolic rate. There's that potential for body fat overshooting. So 
because of all these things, again, especially those variables and again, the amount of time that we t- it takes to undo it versus if it was like we took a good year, 18 months away from dieting before we got back into it. You know, for, if we are dieting more frequently, it is going to make future fat loss harder, right? Um, or harder than it could be. Even if we're not losing muscle, if we're not building as much as we could between those phases, that would still make your fat loss easier in the future. Um, again, it's also going to be more time where you're likely in a micronutrient deficient state, unless you are a very cognizant of this. Um, also again, the down regulation in thyroid, um, and other potential hormonal factors that will be impacted here, which again, are really going to, um, tie into your ability to build muscle. And again, I will say like in the more functional side of things, most, I would say, I mean, I, I don't know if it, between sex hormones and like thyroid, I feel like it's very, very common to when, like, when we look at someone's labs to see like both some things off with sex hormones, um, a lot of times that's tied into like birth control and whatnot, but also it's very, very common, especially for individuals who have like a very long history of dieting to see at least some, some things with thyroid that we need to focus on before it's like, okay, we're going to get back into the diet. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And talking about sex hormones and thyroid, those play in together so much too. So if one is off, often the other thing is going to be off. Absolutely. And again, like the more we are, because your micronutrient intake and your total calorie intake, but again, like your total calorie intake, your micronutrient intake often being so well tied into that. And get, unless that's something you're very aware of, and that in itself is going to manifest oftentimes that will create downstream issues with both of those things. And again, that will in turn hurt your future diets and the phases in between that as well. So <clears throat> most importantly, I think most women who are already lifestyle lean, and this is one of the biggest things we focus on with our clients, really overestimate the difference dieting will make for their physique and underestimate the difference muscle growth will make. That's again, like so many of the clients we work with, the biggest changes, especially because we work with a lot of people who are already relatively lean. And I think so many people think like, I just need to get a little bit leaner and then I'll really have the physique I want. Where it's really, it's not like necessarily about losing five more pounds of fat as much as it is we need to add five more pounds of muscle. But it's important to understand. So again, that muscle growth, like past that beginner stage, uh, once you're already lifestyle lean like that, adding more tissue to your frame is one of the most important things that most people need to continue to change their physiques and get the physiques that they want. And takes longer when you're past that beginner stage too. So in this case, she's kind of, I assume she, I guess, did you say that? (laughs) But she's kind of got the worst of both worlds in this situation, like have, (laughs) has, taken, um, longer to diet. Mm-hmm. It seems like probably gains that same amount of body fat back if she's dieting every single mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah. and then isn't taking that time to build the muscle. So isn't really getting leaner over time and isn't really building muscle over time either. Yeah. I think that like 50, 50 split is a pretty good way of like dieting versus, um, focusing on building. It's a pretty good way to stay in the same place. Uh, for the long term, again, past like that first year to maybe two years at most. Um, if you are someone who's lifestyle lean, because they like said muscle growth does happen at a much slower rate than fat loss. Um, so for example, most people can very realistically lose a pound of fat in a week. Um, if you are like a, if you're someone who's been doing things well 
for a long period of time, gaining a pound of muscle in a month and you're a natural individual, gaining a pound of muscle in a month is crazy progress. That's great progress, right? So again, like look at that rates where that's like a four to one ratio almost. If And realistically for most people, it's probably more than that. Um, but in the muscle growth just happens so much slower than the fat loss. So again, assuming you've trained very well for at least six to 12 months, I'd say again, at least like that first year to two years, you're not going to be gaining that much muscle in these dieting phases, which is again, 50% of the year. And again, real it's, it's impacting more than 50% of your year as well, right? Because there's a dieting phase, but again, the phase where your metabolism and your hormones are recovering from that dieting phase, I would say realistically, it's probably at least like eight months of the year where we're in at least a suboptimal condition to add more tissue to your frame. And again, with muscle being the biggest piece for most women who are most women who are already lifestyle and are missing for physique development, you're just not going to make that much progress like this. Um, so really I would say once you've been able to achieve a level of leanness relatively close to the physique you want, you should set your year up to be optimal for building muscle. So for the listener, I would say for the best physique, I really like to spend at least a approximately four to one ratio of time out of the deficit, focusing on building and adding muscle master frame versus in the deficit. Um, such a good example is we just posted it on the elevated coaching systems page was my client, Kim, who we worked together for two and a half years and her physique, it was like the same weight and her before and after, after like two and a half years, but her physique, similar to what you're talking about, my own progress pictures was completely different. And her, her change was much more dramatic than mine, but we spent almost two of that two and a half years that we worked together focusing on building. We were at maintenance or in a slight surplus through that entire time rather than spending like most of that time dieting. And if we would have spent like almost, if we would have spent like, let's say that year, let's say we would spent 1.25 of that two and a half years dieting, we wouldn't have seen nearly the progress that she did. It was because we spent so long focusing on building and adding muscle tissue. Again, like her ending weight, I think it was 1.2 pounds lighter than the starting weight with uh, with us, but her physique looked completely different because of the amount of muscle she'd been able to build. Um, and it's also funny because that's like one of the, you have certain like things you share where it's like so many people like apply for coaching because of that. That is like one of the, I think that's one of the most successful I've ever had, like sharing a client transfer motivation and like people come in on board because of that. But I think it's still so hard to embrace this idea of, okay, well. They're coming on and saying, I want to lose weight. <laughs> right. I want to lose fat so I can look like her. And it's like, actually. Yeah. <laughs> she spent most of our most of this two and a half years eating more and building. And then we were able to, okay, we're going to diet for a couple months and see crazy progress because we had a lot to uncover rather than I'm kind of gaining and losing the same weight. Um, I would also say, again, you kind of alluded to this, but if you have to diet every six months, uh, and again, I don't know the listener, the exact context for the question asker, uh, but we might not be handling the phase. Like if we have to diet every six months, we're probably not handling the time between extremely well. I don't think most people, especially if you're lifestyle lean already, I don't think you should have to diet that frequently. Six months is also a long time to diet if you're lifestyle lean. So I think like from a dieting side of things, there's probably a way where we could be more efficient, more effective with that, get that done with sooner. And then similarly, like in that off season, not, not, not necessarily the off season, but the, the season away from dieting, we, I shouldn't have to diet every six months. So first, what I'll say, 
Um, in my experience, most people who feel like they just gain fat super quickly when they're not dieting, they're typically not training properly. Um, where I've talked to so many women who are kind of in this chronic state of dieting because they feel like whenever it's like, I just focus on building muscle, I just gain body fat. And again, oftentimes like the uh, training in a proper manner for hypertrophy and also training hard enough to actually stimulate that muscle growth. And again, partition more of those calories to adding more muscle tissue to your frame rather than just body fat. That is such an important part here. But also make sure if you aren't tracking your food when you're not dieting, that at least until you can like, hey, we can go a good year plus without having to diet again. And if I don't want to gain body fat, I'm not in a phase where I'm like intentionally like building muscle tissue, but also like, okay, with adding a little bit of body fat, I can just maintain that. Though we have that master, I would definitely continue to track consistently. Um, and realistically, like in a scenario like this, and it, it varies a lot by the person, but for most women, um, I really don't think you probably, even like in a building phase, probably need to gain much more than like a pound a month. Um, and within that surplus, I would also make sure that we're really prioritizing still your peri-workout nutrition, right? Because that is going to impact the way those calories are partitioned. So especially when we're prioritizing a lot more of our carbohydrates around our training, making sure that, because that will really, that's when the insulin sensitivity will be the best, more of those calories, carbs will be shuttled towards the muscle cell, um, versus the fat cell. I also, a lot of times in situations like this, I do think, I know people go back and forth on this. I do sometimes as well, but I like anecdotally, I think I see the best outcomes with lean gains following a like training day and rest day targets where those rest days where we're burning, we're burning less. We need less fuel. Um, our food targets are a bit lower, lower versus our rest days can also be effective. And then alongside that, I would also make sure in the off season when you're not dieting, you're still being mindful of your knee. Basically you're still tracking your steps and making sure we are consistently hitting uh, those targets. Because again, I think that like, as we mentioned, uh, your meat being 85 to 90% of metabolic adaptation, it's a big variable where if you're not tracking those, you could be seeing a dramatic drop off in your movement when you are eating more food. And that will also cause you to gain body fat back much quicker. And then finally, I would say when you are dieting, um, when you have more body fat, it's okay to diet a little bit more aggressively. So again, like if we have a bit more to lose, it's okay to lean closer to like one to even like slightly higher than that, like 1.25% of body weight loss per week. But as we start to get leaner and leaner, we want to be more conservative with that rate of loss and make sure as much as possible, we can conserve your ability to train hard. Um, and we definitely don't want to exceed that like 1% of body weight loss per week, or we are getting to the rate where we're more likely to lose muscle tissue um, as we start to get leaner. Um, Again, when we're dieting, make sure that you're eating your micronutrients and no matter what year round, we need to be training like you were trying to build muscle, right? Because again, that's going to be one of the most important variables of all of this. If we're dieting and suddenly like, suddenly like we're going from uh, hypertrophy training to like a more circuit style of training, focusing on burning as many calories as possible. If we don't have that stimulus, we're not sending your body the signal that it needs muscle tissue anymore, then it won't maintain it. Anything else to add there? On training specifically? Just in general, any finally, final closing thoughts? Um, I mean, I would just ask the question asker here or anybody listening with this, if they find themselves in a similar situation, pick out which of these things are the 
things that you're missing on? What are the lowest hanging fruit for you? And um, start getting that into a better position. Um, most likely, like we've talked about for most of you, it's going to be um, a combination, but mostly dieting too frequently and not giving yourself enough time to actually build muscle. Cause that's where the physique change actually happens. Like we've said a million times, if you're just dieting, um, but you're not building any muscle, then you're just going to be like a smaller version of your current shape. The muscle underneath is what actually builds that shape where, um, you have like the wider shoulders and back and legs to create that X shape that most women actually want. And so if you don't actually spend time putting that tissue on, then you're probably not going to be super happy with the results um, just with chasing the fat loss side of things. Yeah. And that's, I think the most important point sum up pretty nicely where it's not necessarily like dieting too frequently will break you. Will definitely cause some of these down regulations that also outside of just muscle mass do make fat loss harder. Again, like the way we talked about how it impacts thyroid, for example. Um, but alongside that, that's again, like if you're especially like as we continue for physique development past your first pushing for it for that past like your first one to two years, if you're not building muscle, your physique just isn't going to change. If we're again like doing a 50-50 split of dieting versus not dieting. So the biggest thing is really how it is going to impact and hinder your ability to add more muscle tissue and continue to change your physique. Um and again remember again like my example of Kim, right? Where even if we just maintain like the amount of body fat that you there even if you're not losing body fat but you're adding muscle tissue to your frame ratio of muscle mass to fat mass will be improved and your body fat percentage will literally be lower. You will look leaner. So building muscle again, I think past that first couple of years is the most important lever that we can pull for physique change. So it's really important to consider dieting frequency will have out of all these variables. That's the thing that will probably hurt the most and will really hinder your progress in the long term before dieting too frequently. Anything else to add before we wrap it up? Nope. Well, as always, we appreciate y'all tuning in. Um, if you enjoy the show, do us a huge favor. Leave us a five-star rating and review. If you want to apply to work with our team one-on-one, be coached through everything we talked about here, not have to think about all these variables as much or really get a more depth explanation of them. And again, with so much of it being truly so individual, really have someone customize all of this to you specifically, your body's responses, your biofeedback, et cetera. Just hit the link in the show notes to apply to work with us and we will catch you guys next time.